Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. In a football field, with kids watching. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing four, four, f***ing two. And that boy is out to take a penalty. Eight one. Eight bloody one. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Touchline, the football podcast that's not actually about football. My name is Dennis Hurley. I was dropped for the last episode, but I have thankfully earned a recall. And I am joined by two behemoths of non-football footballing culture, if that makes sense. To my right is a man who, if you show him the back of a panini sticker, he can immediately tell you who's on the front, Seb Patrick. Hello, Seb. Hello. I thought that was going to be Dave. (laughs) (laughs) And to my left, spoiler by Seb just there, a man who, no matter what the social occasion, can come up with a suitable line of dialogue from an official FIFA World Cup film, David Hartrick. Ah, that's worryingly close to the yeah, truth. Yeah, that, that one definitely is, though. <laughs> yeah. um, we had we had planned to do the normal thing and focus on a particular piece of football-related art uh, for this episode, but given the current situation, uh, we decided to go down a different path for this one, and Dave will explain what we're going to do. Uh, originally our opening question was basically going to be give us three things to waste a bit of time with in this current drought of of live football and let's be honest live anything um so that that was a pretty broad broad remit covering youtube books anything and everything basically um so we've all come up with five we're going to go a little bit round robin style, and hopefully by the end of this podcast, if we've achieved nothing else but we've managed to waste an hour of your time, then at least that's another hour down, isn't it? Because <laughs> I'm finding, I don't know about you boys, but basically 
everything in my life has come down to one thing now and yeah that'll pass an hour if it passes an hour it'll do doesn't matter if it's a little <laughs> job a football thing whatever it is will it pass an hour yes good um so i'm going to go first and i'm going to go straight into it um and i'm going to go in with a, a book that i've checked on amazon um, and you can pick up at the moment for 19.99 and i know money is tight but in terms of bang for your buck there's not really much better out there and it is the panini world cup football collection books now i don't know if are you two either of you are aware of these i literally have it on my desk in front of me it is genuinely the one of those if the house was on fire what would you run and save dennis is holding it up to the camera as we speak i don't have you ever seen these seb i've never seen these they are reprints of every Panini World Cup album. Um, you can go... They, they've been doing it since 2012. You can get older versions a lot cheaper. They are just joyful. They are just absolutely brilliant. And in terms of wasting time, you will start flicking through it and eventually <laughs> you'll just end up looking at every single page and... They're just a, an absolute treasure trove. They really are. It usually comes in a slipcase, two albums within. There's also a Euros collection, which at the moment isn't available. And I would imagine, because they update it, I would imagine that's because they were just about to bring out yeah. the update for this uh, this summer, which sadly is no longer going to happen. So uh, the Euros one isn't available, but I do have the Euros one as well. And... They're, between them, honestly, the, the hours, and I mean that genuinely, the hours I have sunk into them is extraordinary, and they are just a genuine thing of joy. Dennis, I, I, you must have spent a fair few minutes flicking through yours as well. I wholeheartedly agree. A, a great shout I, Like I said, it's on my desk. I didn't even think to include it. In 1988... I kind of made my own DIY version of this because the Observer, <laughs> each week starting in about March all the way up to June, included a reprint of an album beginning with 1970. So I, I had those. They went missing somewhere over the years. So I was delighted to uh, get the version of the book. I think, yeah, mine is 1970 to 2014. And you can, you can just smell the nostalgia of them. It, it, yeah, really good. I actually the reason I had it on my desk, embarrassingly, is because I tweeted a picture of Richard Vichka from the nineteen ninety <laughs> album last week, because <laughs> Panini did a bit of uh, photoshopping uh, with his shirt because they had no picture of him in the Holland eighty eight shirt with the the pattern, the one in which they won the Euros and only wore at the Euros, so they had ha- put the pattern on a picture of him in the away shirt but with a different neck and Adidas striping. So I just tweeted that <laughs> picture to my followers. Uh, if anybody wants to ask Siri, what is the most perfect last 30 seconds of Dennis Hurley encapsulated? <laughs> that was that was about it, really. But they are just genuinely like just a real thing of joy. And the thing is, it's one of them that you, you just keep coming back to it every couple of months and just going all the way through it. And the, I, I assume, have you got the Euros one as well, Dennis? I actually don't, so that's on the list. I wasn't aware of the Euros one. Yeah, the the Euros one is, is just as joyful because the Euros one has got... 
some properly obscure footballers in there. And when it comes to WhatsApp trivia groups, it comes in very handy sometimes. Uh, I'm going to go to you, Seb. Next, um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I was just still looking at you. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of this. I just never knew that this was a thing that existed. And it's like I've, I've thought about going on eBay just to buy like complete albums, uh, but but more actually, if they'd done a book of like the Merlin Premier League albums, that would be quite mm. nice because uh, I really want to get the, the Merlin Premier League '93 one completed. But yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I've, I've stuck that on my wish list on Amazon. I'm not gonna buy it right now, but there's, that's surprisingly affordable for what it for what it contains. Oh, it, like it's it, 24 quid new on Amazon, and there's copies going for 18 pound. The 24 quid sellers. one will be the brand new one, which I think is the blue cover right yeah. up to date and the thing is as I said I know money is tight but trust me for 24 quid in yeah. terms of actual hours spent <laughs> hours with the book it. <laughs> it, it rapidly you realise it's it's not going to owe you much by the time your time is done with it anyway Seb your recommendation Okay, so so for my first one, so a few of the things that I think I'm going to talk about on this are all things that I think we were intending and possibly still are intending to maybe do full episodes on, but that I think uh, I'd like to kind of bring up and, and talk about at least for a little bit now, even if we do end up covering them yeah, in, in this, more this detail is beyond eventually. beyond the tapas touchline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I raved about this on Twitter after watching it. Um, but I I really do recommend it's still on the iPlayer if you're in the UK. Sorry, Dennis. Um, for for eleven more months, it's still available. But the the opening episode of of the current series of Inside Number Nine, titled "The Referees at W Asterisk 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 Asterisk," and that is actually without spoiling it, the fact that it could be more than one word is is cleverly part of the point um it's if you haven't some if you're somehow interested in football and football culture and haven't heard about this uh inside number nine is an anthology series by reese shearsmith and steve pemberton most famous for league of gentlemen and subsequently psychoville um it's a they usually trade in kind of black comedy slash horror inside number nine is very variable in tone i don't usually watch it because i don't like scary and upsetting things and there's usually a chance that episodes of it will be scary and upsetting every so often they do one that isn't and that is instead a kind of roll doll tales of the unexpected-esque sting in the tail kind of story and that's what the referee is um it's set entirely in the officials room before at half time and at the end of a crucial uh, championship uh, it's not even it's playoff matches no it's the last game of the season yeah. to determine who goes into the, the playoffs and who gets relegated um, and uh, David Morrissey is the referee of the title um, uh, Steve Pemberton, Rhys Shearsmith and Ralph Little are his fellow uh, assistants and fourth official um, it's a very entertaining uh, little vignette. Um, I think it simultaneously does has some really nice and clever football-related observational comedy. And then people like Dave and possibly Dennis as well, although I don't think Dennis has seen it, can also probably pick apart some of the stuff that maybe... Well, it, 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 I think it commits some of the same sins that often drama about football does in that it has to take liberties about how things actually work in order to to do what it's trying to do from a drama point of view. Um, but I nevertheless got the impression that um, 
I think what it, where it really works is from a character point of view. The characters all really feel to me like like people from from football, and in particular, David Morrissey. David Morrissey was born to play an an overly officious referee character. He's he's immense in it. His performance is what holds the whole thing together. Although Ralph Little, as uh, the referee's assistant, who is very extremely vain. Uh, is also really enjoyable in it. Um, I I just thought it was a very fun kind of. I don't want to use the kind of sideways look at football <laughs> phrase, but it does sort of do that. And the it's one of those where, I mean, it's got a twist uh, as these things do. It's not exactly really what you'd call a surprising twist, and I actually think there's a dramatic. There's a flaw in the drama in that it gives you a piece of detail early on that. If you didn't know it at the start, it would make the twist better at the end. It's kind of weird. It makes the twist less twisty. Um, but I thought it was, it was extremely good fun and very funny and uh, just a nice slice of new football-related fiction, which you know we haven't had a load of lately. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Ralph Little's character feels very football <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think he's, he's, he's basically a young Mark Clattenburg. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he is, and it, the the there are one or two for real light detail freaks. There are one or two <laughs> things that just jar slightly, but at the same time, as I said, in terms of the sort of football fiction canon, it's a very welcome and very good uh, inductee into that little hall of fame. I think. I feel like if if we were doing a full episode on it and not an episode where we're we're all about telling you uh, positive things in a nice way to look forward to, we might sit here and pick apart in more details on the stuff. Mm. As I say, I, th- I think we I think I'd like to do a kind of a spoilery episode on it at some point, delving into some of what it does really well and what it does less well. Um, but on the whole, I think even with the stuff it does less well, I think you'd have to kind of have a heart of stone not to sit there and really enjoy it for half an hour. Yeah, agreed. I will definitely seek it out. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'd love to get your comments on the kits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being, I'm being pigeonholed here. I'm being typecast. I need to move to a new podcast. <laughs> Spread my wings. You say that, but here comes your first recommendation and it will be something super nerdy. <laughs> I I don't know. Is it... Well, basically... Um, when I go to the toilet, I have to read something. And a lot of the time, the toilet's just across the hall from my office and my house. And a lot of the time I take, a, when Saturday comes back issue, and I read the book reviews from it. Uh, and obviously one, when Saturday comes, book review stands taller than all the rest. And it is absolutely <laughs> outstanding. Taylor Parks is one on Tim Lovejoy's book. But I... I enjoy so many of them because a lot of the time the reviewer is a far better writer than the author of whichever book <laughs> he is writing about. And I get, it, like, when I get a new copy of When Saturday Comes, first thing I read are the book reviews, then I read the letters, and then I go to the start of the book. Uh, obviously, if Seb has written the TV review, I read that first. Um, but <laughs> oh, there is... a. Uh, uh, an archive of the book reviews on the When Saturday Comes website, wsc.co.uk, and I would I would recommend seeking them out if you want some 
bite-sized uh, entertainment slash stimulation um, and basically reading about a book that you'll be put off buying but you'll enjoy being put off put off if that makes sense it's incredible when you read one of these reviews though and then you spot the author's name of the review and it's barney rone or (laughs) jonathan wilson or someone like that in like another life 15 years ago isn't it yeah yeah very good point I, I find if uh, I, I I'll I'll turn to the TV review and when Saturday comes first if it's if it's by Cameron Carter and I can look at how it should be done the, <laughs> <laughs> I look at it and go oh, that's better than mine. Um, shall I go on to my next one then? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to send you all to a YouTube user rather than a specific video, and I'm going to do it again before we finish this. Um, capital F, capital Z is back for, as in numerical for, football, lowercase. So that's capital F, capital Z, is back, numerical for, for football. And FZ is back for football is just a... If you click on videos, it is just a Serie A treasure trove. He specialises in every goal videos from certain players, and there is everyone from... Well, basically every major Serie A star from about 1990 onwards, there is every single video they uh, of. Uh, there's basically every goal they've scored, and it is just an absolute. I mean, if you've got work to do, it's an absolute <laughs> minefield because before you know it, you're three hours deep into watching Marco van Basten and like Maradona, Zola, Aspria. And it's just absolutely wonderful. It really is. Some of the music he chooses to put over that is absolutely repugnant. <laughs> but turn the volume down and just enjoy the football. And it is fantastic. There's about, I think he's got about 400 odd videos on there, including a lot of uh, season review stuff as well. And there's a lot of archive ones. So, for instance, he's got every goal John, John Charles scored for Juventus and... It's it's just if if you're somebody who often goes on YouTube not really knowing what they want to watch, it's one of those accounts that you can click on and there will always be something that you end up just sinking at least fifteen twenty minutes into. So that's capital F, capital Z is back numerical for football and don't blame me if you've got work to do. Seb, your <laughs> next one. My next one is also on YouTube, uh, but it is a video, uh, a single video rather than a channel. Although it is, um, it is. How long is it? Let's 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 look it up. Uh, I haven't actually brought it up in front of me. I know it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube in at least three different uploads. Um, it is. Uh, oh, it's an hour and a quarter long. What is the greatest football documentary ever made? And also, what is number three on my list? <laughs> I thought there was going to be some crossover in our list. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just let's talk about it anyway, because I'm sure it's we all. It's fine want to because put it I have a backup, so don't worry. <laughs> okay, but that's good because that means I know that. I mean, I knew I would know anyway that you would want to talk about it. Um, an impossible job. I mean, we have talked about it on the podcast a little bit before because we brought it up in reference to Mike Bassett and it's one of those things you just can't help bringing up and referencing every so often anyway. Again, I think it would be nice to do a, a deep dive into it at some point, but if you somehow have never seen it, 
uh, yet. And I, again, I, I can't imagine that anyone listening to this hasn't watched it or doesn't know what it is. If you somehow don't know what it is, it is the documentary from 1994 uh, after Graham Taylor was sacked as England manager, the, the fly-on-the-wall documentary that basically ran through his... It, I mean, does it actually cover his entire time in the job or is it just the last... Pretty much, but it really focuses on that last. It's that, um, yeah, that, twelve that, months, the failed qualification campaign. Yeah, um, it, it, it's he. I think what actually happened is I think over the over the two, over the two years that the cameras were largely there, I don't think they got all the access straight away. But by about halfway through, they were sort of trusted to film everything. Mm. So that's how they end up. You know, literally at one point in the tunnel, filming the players walking back to the dressing room after the game and all sorts. It's yeah. It's, watching it's, it now, it's an incredible time capsule, isn't it? Exactly. There's there there are so many reasons why it's such an amazing thing to watch. Um, part of it is uh, just that purely in its own right and without any kind of knowledge or context and without looking at it in the context of anything else it's just a really entertaining film and a really entertaining story because you know it is the tale of complete and total basket case disaster in how England and English football is is being run and how the press are interacting with it and just just everything it's just this perfect storm it's got so many classic moments Taylor himself as a personality um just just makes for such a fascinating figure because he's fundamentally a nice guy who is not prepared for the way that the media has started to uh, kind of interact with an approach. Uh, and I don't even just mean how like the papers do, but how the media in terms of being a camera friendly and, and charismatic sort of, you know, he's like, he's a world away from how Gareth Southgate presents himself as England manager. He's, he's a manager who's not used to having to deal with that stuff. And, you know, which is kind of ironic because, you know, in his post managerial career, Graham Taylor um, became a sort of a really vibrant and interesting part of the media and was one of the better and more interesting football pundits. Um, but at that time, he just wasn't equipped, I think, to deal with being the England manager who is the subject of a fly-on-the-wall documentary while they're failing at the same time. So there's And, you know, all kind of subplots of different characters. And obviously you've got Gaza in the middle of it, which just it's just like throwing a bomb into the middle of the story. But aside from how entertaining it is in its own right, um, as you say fascinating time capsule because it's 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 looking at a time when as i say in, you know england and the fa were just um still kind of in that 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 the, the thing that mike bassett was parodying which is the being run by old men set in their ways who who don't understand kind of the modern football world and the changing football world um so many kind of bad decisions were taken in the 1990s as regarding England um, that it is just so even though you have this situation where um, you have an England squad that's got some some bloody talented players in it it's not like I mean okay there are some bad players as well but like I don't think that early 90s Taylor era England is by and large like a dreadful team of cloggers or anything like that. I mean, I don't know if you disagree as the as the no, England man the, in the room, Dave. But, but I think I want to get Dennis's take on it in a minute because Dennis, you must have seen it. I unfortunately have yet to see it. 
Museum. <laughs> I, it, it's genuinely, Dennis. I, even as an outsider, it's an in, if nothing else, it's an incredible level of access to a football manager and mm. a football team. So it's it's there's so many bits in it of just the day to day and being away on international duty and stuff that is just. And, and, that, and best of all for you, Dennis, it's all about England failing like <laughs> failing, you wouldn't believe. Yeah. For instance, there's there's one of the the classic bits is there's I forget which qualifier it is. Um the camera England are with I think we're drawing at the time and the camera pans along the bench and it's got Seaman there and Ian Wright and Lee Sharp and you quickly realise that every single player that's on that subs bench is better than the players he's actually picked <laughs> playing the game and it's full of stuff like that that when you look back and you have the context of, of time it's just it's incredible but I, I really honestly Dennis it, I know it's England but it's it's utterly brilliant the 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 other point about it then and and why it's so interesting I think to look at now is that obviously now we are used to these peeling back the curtain warts and all documentaries it's like you know the Netflix and Amazon style football documentaries they sell themselves on the fact that they are all about going and spending an entire season and like barely anywhere is off limits to the cameras and and the players and staff have less control over what's actually going to be shown and included because it is about kind of really giving you that insight impossible job does all of that and but from a time when that wasn't done mm. really and we had kind of when was the when was the peter reed one 97 so it was a bit later, but I don't yeah, think you'd have got 90s. that without this. And those are those kind of early examples of, you know, actually doing a football documentary that is that is not kind of um, looking from the outside and having to paint its picture from the outside. The the access that they get um, is just something that we hadn't seen before. And I think if, that's why I think if you're watching it now, there's a temptation to go, oh yeah, I've seen documentaries like this before, and I've I've seen you know I've I've had all these kind of close up views. I've seen what it's like in the training camps and when they do this and when they do that. But we in 1994 we hadn't seen this to that extent. Um, the other thing is just how it how it just builds to the 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 centerpiece set piece you've kind of throughout the film you've had other examples of you're you're watching the match and you're you're watching the bench while the match is going on but that holland game that that 10 minutes or so that the film spends on the holland game and the amount of time that the camera is just watching taylor up and down the line and his interaction with the linesman is just Magnificent, and like I, I could quote you almost everything that Graham Taylor says on the touchline in that documentary. It's where like a lot of the famous lines come from, but it's just, in, it's just incredible. It's just so entertaining, and it, you it's, know, I mean, en- entertaining sounds like a harsh thing to say because at the end of the day, what you're looking at is a really yeah. nice man being shafted and failing at his job. Yeah. Um, a lot, you know, I, I think he was able to look back on it in in the years that followed, but um, it is just it's it's just a fascinating car crash. It really is, and it's just yeah, a perfect time capsule, a really kind of groundbreaking and influential documentary. If you're in any way interested in how football gets presented to us and told to us as a story, there aren't many better examples. No, and if you want a link. To set Dennis up, 
to introduce his next one. That's also genuinely, despite all the failure, Dennis, that's my favourite ever England home kit with the little badge just in the V-neck there. <laughs> Superb It's actually kit, regarded that. as a very bad England kit. I don't hate it, but I know a lot of people who do. But it's funny how you keep setting me up for the kit stuff. I was actually going to go on a documentary route with that one as well. Um, and I was going to recommend the documentary. It's called Do You Want to Win? It's about Leeds um, from 1988 to 92 under Howard Wilkinson. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, and it's there, there's a, a companion book as well, which goes through that time period in in great detail is written by a guy called daniel chapman and he has put together the documentary as well if there was one quibble you'd have with the documentary is that it's only about an hour long which is probably a bit too short and it could maybe done with a bit more game footage especially of the the title winning seasons in division two and 89 90 and division one in 91 92 but he does have he has contributions from the main the main guys involved. Um Howard Wilkinson, obviously Gordon Strachan is very good in it. And Vinnie Jones makes a, a valuable contribution too, because he was a huge part of that promotion season in eighty nine ninety. And he's still even a bit regretful that he looked for a transfer early in nineteen ninety one rather than kind of sticking it out with Leeds for longer. And you, you were talking about um the impossible job being a time capsule it this is kind of a time capsule in a different sense in that it's a retrospective but it still gives a great sense of how different football was back then and how you know just how big a time it was for Leeds and how big a club Leeds were and are and how much you know them being back in the Premier League if and when football ever comes back will uh, overall be a good thing I did you know what right it's interesting because we're doing this pod for other people but this is completely past me by Dennis it's, and I will definitely I mean I'll be all over that so yeah, well done you filled an hour for me <laughs> cheers um, I think the book I think they came out in about 2017 I'm not sure how long the documentary's on Amazon Prime I only watched it recently enough um, I forgot to make a joke earlier when you were on about filling an hour um, surely you were delighted about the clocks going forward because that was an hour just ticked <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the only problem was they needed to go forward by about six months. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would recommend that um, from a documentary point of view. Uh, it's, you know, Amazon Prime, you think of the Man City one, and that's overproduced to the last, but this is mm-hmm. earthy, real football. See, that that's interesting, because that's one of the things about the impossible job as well, Dennis. That it's not overproduced yeah. and glossy. And, and I, you want realism in the documentary. You want authenticity. Uh, and I think this is uh, a throwback to, to that kind of thing. My next one is a throwback. And Dennis, Nazzle, greatest kits of all time. I, I will not have any argument on this. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was just thrown for a second because I've never heard anyone refer to it as nazzle, but that makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't can't argue with you there. Uh, George Best did wear number three for one of his clubs, which is a black mark against it. But um, yeah, I I would agree, and I, the the whole era is a great story. 
basically, if you want to delve into this, there's a couple of ways to do it. There's a brilliant documentary, and there is an even better book by Ian Plenderleaf called Rock and Roll Soccer that I would thoroughly recommend. But if you just want to go and have a flavour and a feel, uh, another YouTube channel, it's Soccer Maven, which is S-O-C-C-E-R-M-A-V-N. And he is, basically, it's just a repository of... Nazzle, goal of the season videos, game highlights, American indoor soccer games where you'd be surprised who pops up playing for who at various stages and goes right up until uh, like early MLS as well, um, Kobe Jones era. Um, and the thing I would really point you to on that channel though is the... Nazal goal of the year videos from the early 80s um, which were put together I can only assume I mean they call it the Budweiser goal of the year thing but I can only assume these sort of 10 to 20 minute videos were something promotional either given away with Budweiser or on a VHS that has something to do with Budweiser and the the depth of the weirdness of Nazal is not just the kids it's the only way I can describe it to you both is that you get goals scored in Nazal that I have never seen scored anywhere else. There's there's one I tweet I have tweeted several times. There was a, a thread I did recently about my favourite things in football, which I think, if memory serves, it's the 1983 goal of the year. It's the winner right at the end, and it is, it's it's a it's a goal out of a movie. That I mean, Slatan Ibrahimovic couldn't score a goal like this. It's a backheel volley, but taken at about six and a half feet in the air, is <laughs> extraordinary goal. There's there's another very famous one, which is a overhead kick direct from a corner to win a game in the very last minute. There's ridiculous solo goals because the talent gaps between some of these players in this league is just ridiculous. So you have some defenders and I don't use the word dog shit lightly, but they are <laughs> dog shit and they are playing against players like best Cruyff, <laughs> you know, and several others. It is absolutely mad. And again, it's one of those things that just go on and just give yourself an hour and a half or two hours to just wallow a little bit. And it is, the commentary is everything you would want and expect a nazzle commentary to be. Um, the kits are just magnificent. The games are played on everything from baseball fields to indoor gymnasiums to actual football pitches, very rarely. It's just, it's crazy. It is, it is a surreal experience watching Nazzle and, and early American football, but... I can't recommend it highly enough for just the genuine ridiculousness of it. Um, so that's definitely one just to just to throw yourself into head first, really. So that's again, it's Soccer Maven, which is S O C C E R M A V N. Definitely go and have a look at that. If I could just butt in before Seb gives his next one and add an addendum um, for NASLJerseys.com, which does what it says <laughs> yeah. on the tin. <laughs> um, with with the caveat that you're you're not allowed to say uh, the the Colorado Caribou's <laughs> with the tassel, which is the best nazzle kit? Uh, that's a good question. 
Uh, I think I'd probably just have to go for the Tampa Bay Roadies. <laughs> just the, the green and yellow. Yeah, it 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 looks. It, it's obviously it's it's OTT and in your face, but it's there's still a kind of a balance to the design. I'm I'm looking at these. I, I like the uh, I like the California Surf. It's got a bit of a. It reminds me of the the Lazio Eagle. Shirt, oh yeah, but yeah. It's, uh, but the but the green that's quite that's a really nice motif, and then the weirdly massive numbers underneath. But that's uh, yeah. The the thing yeah. is about it, as I said, I can't stress this highly enough. It is so. It is really surreal football. It it genuinely is. It's uh, it's it genuinely odd. Um, sensation watching football played on a baseball pitch and when I say played on a baseball pitch literally the diamond is in one of the halves <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's weird but again you just get these crazy passes and passages of play and ridiculous solo goals and so it's just yeah just just enjoy you will have never seen anything quite like it Seb um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this um, there's this comic, and it's about a footballer, and his name's Roy, and he plays for Melchester Rovers. Ah, it's called Roy, of the, Roy of the Rangers. Ray of the Rangers. Ray yeah. of the Rangers. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know if, yeah, we haven't got around yet to talking about the new Roy of the Rover stuff. Um, and again. Like I, th- I think we will in some detail, and we'll we'll try to do so in such a way that's not hampered by the fact that, uh, as we've mentioned before, I've been working with Rebellion Publishing on some of the material uh, for some of their their archive publications, and there's there's more stuff on the way, which is uh, which is I'm sure everyone will be pleased to know. Um, again, without spending too long going into spoilery detail. Um, I will say that now is a really good time if you haven't checked it out to have a look at the new stuff that they've been putting out. Uh, because at the moment, if you go to the Roy the Rovers website, RoyTheRoversOfficial.com and the Rebellion store, um, you can actually get the first two books in the series, and that's one graphic novel and one prose book. I'll explain that in a minute. You can get both of those free as ebooks, um, and they're also doing 25% off all of the first season books. Um, so how, they, how they've structured this is that basically for every season, they do three graphic novels and three prose books that have also got illustrations they're sort of they're they're kind of older primary school targeted the 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 text books and the graphic novels i think skew slightly older but still very much no older than sort of early teens in terms of their their actual targeting but they are they're an enjoyable read if you want some football related comics and if you're a fan of Roy the Rovers as a as a brand and as a as a thing as 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 we all are. So the the setup of it is that it's a it's a complete and total reboot. It's it's Roy Race as a 16-year-old kid who's always dreamed of getting to play for Melchester Rovers and then he gets the opportunity because they're in League 2 and uh, all of their players get sold. All of their senior players get sold. So they have to get they have to put together a team basically made up from their youth squad. Um and Roy has a successful trial and and gets recruited um so the characters are a mixture of kind of there's new characters and there's reimaginings of old characters one of the best of them is the fact that johnny dexter is the the first team coach and johnny dexter is kind of reimagined as um 
a guy who's kind of rather than the sort of the the career around various clubs that he had in the in the original comics and we we talked about that on our on our comics related episode um he's he's melchester through and through and he's 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 a big hard hulking guy he's kind of big brute with a heart of gold kind of character who who loves melchester more than anything else he's by far the most entertaining character in it uh, melchester's manager is it, somewhat controversially is kevin mighty mouse controversial because kevin mouse you know was never actually in uh, uh, the Roy of the Rovers strips. Uh, that, well, that's not strictly true because was it a Roy of the Rovers or was it? A, no, it was a. What was it? Was it the Marx Brothers? Was the uh, there was there was a, an episode of one of the the, the spin offs, not spin off, but you know the secondary strips, the Marx Brothers uh, that had an all star charity match that had several Melchester players along with. Kevin Mouse and other characters from other strips. So they technically they were supposed to be in the same universe, Mouse and Hotshot Hamish. Uh, Hotshot Hamish, there is a version of him, shows up. That's a little bit of a controversial portrayal. Uh, but he's in there. Some classic Melchester players like Vic Guthrie, Lofty Peak, Paco Diaz, Blackie Gray is in there. There's a, uh, there's a very uh, fun flip of what I would describe as the classic Blackie Gray, Roy Race dynamic in the where Blackie Grey was always the character in Roy's shadow in the originals uh, Blackie is actually at the current time a more successful footballer than Roy is so that's that's quite interesting um, but the, the 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 where they are at the moment is that they are they're two books of each kind into season two so there'll be a there'll be a third book for season three coming out in the summer um, the first season is is enjoyable it's sort of you know it's it's very much about kind of setting the scene and, and setting up the, the the characters and and putting Roy into that world. Um, they then in the second season have gone. There's quite a big plot twist kicking off the the second season that very much changes the scenario and the setup, and then the sort of the repercussions of that have been going through the season as it's followed. The other major change is that um, they've introduced a character called Rocky Race, obviously in tribute to the the original Rocky Race, uh, who's actually Roy's younger sister, and she plays when she's she's younger than Roy, but she plays women's football, uh, and that's a kind of they've been building that as a plot strand, and the next of the print books the the prose books is called rocky and it's like it's it's rocky of the rovers it's kind of the first time that they've actually put a female character actually at the center of a of a roy the rover story um as i say well i think we'll again we'll we'll look to talk about them in a bit more detail and some of the things that they do and some of the things that they don't do um but on the whole i think it's been a a, a successful reimagining that i think um at a time when there there isn't really um well, I say there isn't really any other football fiction for kids. There is. There, there has been over recent years, but certainly there hasn't been a comic that does it. And I think, um, I think if this was something that was launching afresh, um, you know, it had nothing to do with the kind of the ties of Roy of the Rovers at the past of the past. I think we'd be looking at it and going. Um, this is a really good and well put together and character driven and and fun football thing f- for kids to get into. Um, the fact that it is Roy of the Rovers means that um, it it's kind of a double edged sword in that there are times when I might look at it and go, oh, I wish they'd I wish they'd bring in this old character that I like, or oh, I'm not sure about this interpretation of this character. It's a bit different from what I would have wanted to see with them. At the same time, there's other nods to the past or other character use where I'm like, oh, I'm so pleased that they've done this character or yeah, that character really is in keeping with how I'd want to see it. And on the whole, I think the 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 spirit of it, it's it's really got its heart in the right place. Um, 
and it's just I've I've found that particularly the second season has been uh, a a big step up. For, I, I enjoyed the first season, but I think the second season's been a really big step up. Um, and I think I think they're all just worth a look. I think if you just you know if you want some enjoyable football fiction. Um, I think they do the job, and I say I, I think they're they're getting more interesting and more intriguing as they go on. So um, I certainly think you know I don't think you can say no to uh, the price of the the first ones being completely free. So uh, you know get get on the website and and give them a look, and maybe while you're there as well, head over to the shop and and get yourself a, a digital or a, or a print copy of the uh, of the 65th anniversary special as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we. it's difficult to say anything more, isn't it, Dennis? Because we want to go into it in a lot more detail, yeah. in truth. Yeah. Um, should we reveal at this stage that our original plan was a Roy of the Rovers podcast and that that begat this idea? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing is, at some point, we're going to end up tackling Roy of the Rovers and we're going to go into it into far too much detail and we're going to realise that we have three listeners left and that's us three. I don't think anyone ever successfully tackled Roy of the Rovers. <laughs> um, yeah, I I would agree with Seb, though. I, I got all of the books last season and for some reason, I haven't kept up with it this season, but I will definitely be undertaking a bulk buy to help with the self-isolation and everything so it's definitely on the list uh, and i fully endorse seb's view um my next one uh i i almost don't really want to kind of uh give too much of an explanation because i feel once i say two words you'll both agree with me and we'll we'll just continue on in unanimous approval but david squires I knew when you said two words. I knew you were going to say that those two words were going to be David Squires because he was yeah. on my list as well. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's unsurprising that he's on more than one list because, mm. like, the the level of consistent excellence is mind boggling. Um, for anyone, like I would imagine, anyone listening to this is, if not a fan of him, is aware of him. But just in case. David Squires is a cartoonist and his work appears on the Guardian website every Tuesday and later in the week as well because he does he lives in Australia and he does an Australian themed cartoon which they're funny as well even if you don't get all the references he started I, I, off, lo- I love trying to figure out what's going on yeah, in Australian yeah, yeah. football you're, from you're his kind of reverse engineering it yeah <laughs> but um yeah he started off just with his own website which was called the Sunshine Room and a couple of the ones in that are just outstanding. Uh, the one where, um, what if uh, I can't even remember the title of it now, but it's basically what if normal people were treated the way footballers are, and it's like a a guy starting a new job, and he's walking out of the office the first day, and he's on the phone to the wife saying, "Yeah, I, I think it went well." And there's a lot of footballers after making shit of his car because he he was a traitor to his previous workplace. Um, <laughs> And then there's the bullshit rodeo, as in how far would you go in tolerating something one of your team's players did before you uh, disapprove of his actions? Um, and it was it was from those. He, he did one a day, I think, didn't he, during the 2014 World Cup, and the Guardian signed mm. him up not long after that. Mm. And I genuinely don't know how he does it. it, like, it it's just amazing every week to A, draw it so well, 
be have a narrative that ties everything in and to be funny it it's it's phenomenal and i i say being funny you know as a prerequisite but some of his best ones have actually been the the elegies uh like when when howard kendall died mm. or when uh, mm. the leicester chairman uh vikai died in 2018 the, the oh yeah the, the tribute was, pieces yeah. ha- are marvelous as well because they're not mawkish they're they're, they're just they're heartfelt and they're mm. you know they, they they have the the kind of affection um that the 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 fans of those clubs would readily identify with well, he he did. He he had a, he's had a couple of books out. I mean, he's had books yeah. out that are just um, collections of of his Guardian strips. But he's also um, uh, done books that um, the, the, his kind of illustrated history of football. There was the illustrated history of football, and there was the illustrated history of football Hall of Fame. And I and I've just pulled this off off the shelf here to remind myself of it. Um, Dave and there's a, off his shelf too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was the one that he did. I mean, there's a few in the in the Hall of Fame one actually, where just he goes serious isn't really the right word. I, I'd sincere is what I'd say rather than than serious. Um, but his one about um, Walter Tull, um, it's just gorgeous. It's just a. It's just a beautiful piece uh, Dave is now showing us actually he wasn't getting the book off the shelf he was getting a framed Squires um, off the wall is, is is that an original or is that a print <laughs> it's a print it's uh, the Johan Cruyff uh, one he did I oh and there we go Dave's uh, Dennis has got one as well I, I don't have a framed Squires so I'm I'm left out on this podcast mine is the North um, Redemption by the way when Arsene Wenger <laughs> oh of course uh, yes. that that strip is just unbelievable the um, I mean I mean I'm sure we could all go through and pick favourite moments I, I, I think I, I, I will mention what is my favourite ever joke because it, it exemplifies one of the reasons why I like him so much and probably why some people don't get on with him um I mean, I, I think generally his his strips are incredibly clever and funny, irrespective of some of the specific references that he reference jokes that he does. Um, like I think he makes jokes and observations that are funny in their own right, and I think his 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 illustration style is inherently funny. So his character work is always funny. But I can't deny that one of the things that I like so much is when he is specifically referencing things that I also get the reference. I mean, the, literally as we record this, his most recent strip um, is a, in a load of managers in in isolation. Uh, do it's a spoof of the Imagine the Gal Gadot Imagine video. But they're all singing. <laughs> she don't use jelly by the Flaming Lips. How many people reading that strip will actually be able to? Sing the, the tune along in their head but uh, but you know I get that reference in the same way as all of the kind of the emo Jose Mourinho yeah. band references that he was throwing in but there is a joke because he, he has a habit of chucking in Simpsons references and Simpsons references are one of those things where obviously a lot of people know the Simpsons and know famous Simpsons jokes and that kind of thing but there is a certain kind of person who the Simpsons along with a few other things like Alan Partridge and Father Ted and a few other things like that the Simpsons is something that um, you it's just natural as part of your conversation to kind of view the world through a prism of Simpsons references. And the greatest joke that I've ever seen David Squires do um, is a a spoof of a scene from one of my favourite Simpsons episodes, which is Itchy and Scratchy Land, and it's the bought licence plate joke. 
and it's <laughs> yeah. Jordan Henderson looking through a load of license plates trying to find a Jordan and he can find Jordan uh, and he goes oh Jordan and then in the background Eddie Howe is walking past with Jordan Ibe and says come along Jordan and Jordan Much says excuse me are you talking to me and Eddie Howe says no my player is also called Jordan and it's like firstly not only is it just hilarious as a reference to that Simpsons scene it's so exact that the letter in the joke Bort versus Bart Jordan versus Jordan it's exactly the same switch of letter it's just oh, it's it's unbelievable I just I, I, I go back and look at that every so often because I just I can't believe that it's a thing that exists in the world <laughs> yeah I think if, if diving into the Squire's back catalogue in any way shape and form really is just a fantastic way to spend half an hour isn't it yeah and um the guardian have got them all up in an archive as well so you can literally just go from one to another to another to another to another but i find myself with squires it's a bit like (laughs) there's a series of kids book called the apple tree farm and you have to find their their the richard scarry inspired and you have to find mm. the little yellow duck in the background of every story on every page. And I find with Squires, I find myself looking for the background jokes, the little stuff in the crowd, the poster on the wall, the number plate, the thing written on a T-shirt, and they are the things that usually make me laugh far more than the actual sort of you know, obvious jokes in the narrative. And that's not to say the obvious jokes in the narrative don't make me laugh either. He's just... <laughs> yeah, that's he, genius, have, isn't he? He, he layer it, like there, there'll be something on the back of a jacket and it'll be done so subtly that you won't get it till the second or third time uh, that, yeah. that you're looking at it. Um, I'm just looking through the book now, just to, like, just on about sincerity, the one about... Um, Arsenal beating Liverpool in eighty nine. Sorry, Seb, I'm not doing it on purpose, but uh, <laughs> uh, just the, the final line because he 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 draws Piers Morgan in the second last one. Uh, it's like Liverpool's fans didn't leave or boo; they stood and applauded the new champions and their own brave team. After all, it's only football because obviously that was just after Hillsborough, and it, it it's that he always he always just gets the tone so right. He really does, mm. doesn't? Yeah, it's really. It's really deft at judging tone when when to when to hit the road, the note when when to pull back. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Brought to you by Lexus. Some things do more than their stated functions. Because exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. With its exceptional capability, you'll see possibilities you never knew existed, sending you far outside your comfort zone. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. So, now we've spent a good five minutes kissing David's ass. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you yet another YouTube user because it, people keep stealing mine, so I keep having to swap around. So Seb's going to have a lovely time editing this because there's a load of keyboard clicks at one point. Seb, just to warn you. Um, TJS Sports, which I think is, if anybody is a serious YouTube gold miner. They probably know already, um, but are you t- either of you two aware of this account? No, no, I don't think. It's basically capital T, capital J, capital S, space sports. It is your 1990s Premier League, FA Cup, UEFA Cup, World Cup, goldmine. Um, he's got various things. The, the thing I like about TGS Sports is they've got things sorted into proper playlists so they've got basically whole seasons with highlights from random games they've got uh, group games they've got um like just just there's all sorts you know there's a whole playlist dedicated to the 1988-89 league cup <laughs> now i can tell you as somebody again who goes on youtube with no idea what they want that is exactly the sort of thing that I will click on and watch the playlist and just, yeah, that's that's an hour done for me. <laughs> um, there's also, uh, this will be of slightly special interest to Seb, I would have thought more than anything else, he also pops up with uh, odd sort of 1980s videos. There's a load of stuff from, like, Comic Relief in 1986 and... Mm like various other little bits pop up in playlists so it's it's just a great channel again just to sort of dive into and yeah you know there's loads of stuff from the the 90s by season um but what i really find other stuff i end up gravitating to is he's got like 
just random game highlights from sort of regional in the 90s i don't know if you had this it seb and i i, I doubt you'll have had this dennis but we had like regionalised football highlights shows. So in Yorkshire, you had a programme called Goals on Sunday, which was Goals on Sunday before Goals on Sunday was the Sky thing. <laughs> in in Ireland, in Ireland, we used to get HTV. We used to, we used to get the Welsh feed. So it was uh, Soccer Sunday. Yeah. So it was a half an hour programme. And the first half, it was on ITV. The first half was extended highlights from the big game involving a Yorkshire club. You know, whether that was Huddersfield Town, Leeds, Barnsley, Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, whoever it was, Doncaster. And then the second half was highlight was goals and highlights of each Yorkshire club's game. And I think they must have done this for the Central Midlands because there was a load there. I think they definitely did it for London. But I just find myself getting sucked into random games that I have no idea of the score of because... I love the season review stuff and I love Premier League years and all that sort of thing but you know it's like it's like that film that you watch all the time you do know the ending you do know there's no surprises you do know what's coming so I find myself drawn to it because I will watch some random Premier League game from 1994 that I've completely forgotten about because I don't know the score and it's it's like watching it for the first time and it's it's great so yeah, so that's another one to dive into. So capital T, capital J, capital S, sports, and again, it will fill an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, Seb, your next one. My next one is also on YouTube and will also fill an hour. Uh, an hour and, and ten minutes, to be precise. Um, the BBC's review of the 1994 World Cup exists in its entirety on YouTube. Dave's throwing and his you, arms up. Is this on your list? Yeah, because it was on my list. You've taken... I've, I've lost Squires. I've lost the impossible job. I, so I keep having to shuffle around, but luckily I had a few to go on, so yeah. I have a last one. But, Dennis, if you take this last one on my list, I'm going to reach over the internet and hit you. I doubt... So you know. I doubt I have either... I doubt that either of my two remaining ones are on your list. I was to be fair, Seb. I wasn't going to mention '94 specifically. I was going to say the BBC reviews of 1994 and '98, which are all on YouTube. I mean, I I was going to say I'm sure there are probably others, and in fact, the up next in YouTube on the window that I have also has the BBC's review of Italia '90 on there. So there, there are clearly a few of these, and obviously, in general, kind of tournament reviews, there's probably loads of different types of ones kicking around on YouTube. I pick out the '94 one for for various reasons like i mean for for me personally because i wasn't quite there with 1990 94 is the first world cup that i really remember as it happened um i think it's you know so for a lot of reasons it to me is the kind of the the quintessential world cup of my youth possibly even how more old, so than how than old were you said so i was so summer of 94 so I, I i would have turned 12 in november 94 so i was i was yeah, 11 when see, this world cup was going you, it was the summer after i left or as I was leaving primary school, basically. You know the theory about favourite World Cups, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's always the one closest to your 10th birthday well, is your you favourite World Cup. I I turned 10 the day after the 1994 final. Yeah. Uh, but I also, I think just in terms of now watching the 94 review, I mean, 94 is a fascinating tournament 
in, in, in as an England fan and, and as an English person. Um, I mean, if you if you're like me, and when England aren't involved, you pretend to be Irish because your your grandmother's Irish, and you you would have qualified to play for for Charlton's Ireland. You obviously, you know, we we got very invested in in that journey during that World Cup. Um, and also, you know, as as a Liverpool fan with with the likes of Aldridge and, and Houghton involved as well. Um, but I I think it's a really interesting one to watch now. I, I think visually it's one of the best looking tournaments and one of the most interesting looking tournaments for all kinds of reasons. It's sort of the look of the coverage it almost feels older than it actually is, and I think that's partly to do with because so much of it was in such bright sunshine. It's got that weird feeling that actually, Dave, you were talking about before with, with Nazel in terms of it's um, it's happening in America, and obviously you know, the majority of the games are in converted stadiums. It does still look like football pitches, but it all just looks just a little bit off and a little bit weird. And I think the, that the helps... Goldets. Yeah, <laughs> the the goal nets. Uh, you must you must have noticed the ninety four World Cup goal nets, Dennis, a man with your eye. Um, <laughs> as in just how deep they were. Yes, yeah, absolutely just these massive. Boxes. I mean, even for yeah. the final, even for the final, they've got like excess on the ground. Yeah, yeah. massive. <laughs> Um, so it's yeah, it's it's got that strange, and I think that that helps it to you know at a time when obviously with each successive World Cup, the world was getting smaller, and and World Cups weren't were less exotic. I think from the nineties onwards, but ninety four is an exotic World Cup. It, even though it, you know it's it's America, it's a place that's kind of recognisable to us from from film and and TV, and yet there's just something weird about the entire world of football suddenly taking place in the United States. Uh, obviously. Kits wise, it's the greatest World Cup for kits. Uh, I I will not hear any argument on on that score. The, 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 you know, I'm sure Dennis can't disagree as far as the 1994 Adidas kits. Uh, go I would least. still go for 1990. <laughs> they're too boring. They're too plain. There's, there's not enough going my, on. In that's my wheelhouse. <laughs> um, and the 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 ninety four review. I mean, some of the other ones might be as well, but you know, the ninety four review is uh, is is narrated and put together by Barry Davis. Uh, I don't know if if Barry always did them or if sometimes no. it was others. It the 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 reviews were actually put together for Christmas time. Mm. So yeah. it was. I think they only. I think they only actually did three, and right. that was ninety ninety four and ninety eight. They they then put them together for. Like stuff just to sort of like for the last World Cup, they had a review on the iPlayer, didn't they? For about three months after that, they put together really mm. quickly, basically. But these were proper, um, properly put together, told the whole narrative of the thing. Yeah, they go the through Italia, groups. Yeah, you know. and I mean, even the the good thing was with '94 for us, Dennis. Anyway, was England weren't there and. After the pain of Euro '92, that was actually a blessed relief. <laughs> well, that's yeah. Uh, I mean, that's uh, something I, I realised I didn't actually complete that point. When I was saying that it was an interesting one for uh, for England because because England weren't there. I think a lot of us focused on 
everything else that was going on more than we otherwise might have done. I mean, obviously, your, your hardcore football nerds are always going to pay attention to everything that's going on in a World Cup. But definitely, you know, there was much more of a feeling of, OK, well, we haven't got England to latch on to. So where are we finding our, our cult heroes in this World Cup? And there were so many of them in, in that World Cup to kind of to latch on to across the different sides. I remember so many player names from that World Cup because... You know, as I say, you didn't have England getting in the way. You didn't have the distraction of. What's the first? Just out of interest, Seb, what's the first player name you remember when you think of '94? Stoichkov. Lechkov for me. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that team, isn't it? But then also, yeah. but 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 the Sweden team, Brolin and Darlene. Mm. Um, I think of Leonardo. <laughs> um, I think of the elbow. Um, the it uh, was it uh, was Taffarel the Brazilian keeper yeah. at the time. I think yeah. Of him, yeah. Um, Alexrenko. Yeah. Yeah. Peliuka it, getting sent off. Oh. But it was also, <laughs> you know, it was also McGrath's welcome. Yeah. I mean. Like, I, I've not, I've not seen defensive. I remember watching that World Cup and not having seen defensive performances like Paul McGrath's before. Mm. Just where he, he was, he was just an immovable object. Yeah, just utterly, fantastically brilliant, like a lesson in the art of defending. And then when you read his book, I'm sure you've read his book, Dennis, and you... I actually have two copies of it on my, on my book. Case, yeah. yeah. And um, you realise, you know, how he'd sort of tried to put himself back together a little bit to get through the World yeah. Cup and all that. It's... And and alongside him, he had Phil Babb peaking yeah. in his career, and it was all downhill from there. But Phil Babb actually had a very good World Cup as well. They were a great partnership. Um it was just a pity that a lot of the rest of the Ireland team had kind of passed their peak and mm. were kind of just playing a 4-5-1. And obviously the group Ireland were in is notable for the fact that all four countries finished on the same record and Norway didn't advance because they had scored fewer than anyone else. But the Ireland-Norway game was kind of the um, equivalent of Ireland-Egypt in 1990 and just a turgid 0-0 draw. And this time we weren't able to pox through the second round of penalties. Um, Packy Bonner was one of the guys who was past his peak and he had a game to forget against against the Netherlands. But if Ireland had somehow got past the Netherlands, we'd have been denied Brazil 3, Netherlands 2, which was uh, <laughs> a game to remember. And it's, and it's just, I mean, even aside from the, the the quality of the tournament, the quality of the look of it, everything, I mean, I just can you think of many more enjoyable ways to while an hour than listening to Barry Davis summarise a tournament. Yeah. It's just, no, though, yeah. the, the, the 98 review is actually goes a bit too England-centric, mm. whereas with Italia 90, obviously they do focus on England's journey in part, but it's not, it's not as partisan as that. And then in 1994, they don't, the BBC don't have to sort of tackle with that at all, so you just get the whole tournament in full. Mm. So... Out of the three of them, I do think 94 is by far the pick of them. By far. So, Dennis, do you, do you have something yeah. else off Dave's list to Yeah, uh, to I, I kind of an assurance that it wouldn't be on his list. I know I'm afraid it will be. Uh, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, obviously, with with nothing to do outside um, um, and everyone just having to stay inside and you're going to get bored of social media and computers and the like... It's time to go back to the classic ways of entertainment. And for a football fan, that obviously means 
Sabutio, which is due another <laughs> relaunch pretty soon. Um, and it, I, I know Dave will say at the stage he likes everything about Sabutio, not the game itself. And there's an element <laughs> of that, but it's it's still it's great. It's it's nostalgic and it's it's something something to do. Unfortunately, my son is only uh, nine months old, so he probably can't play with me. So. I'd be reduced to my childhood of setting up two teams and having to play the whole game uh, both sides myself. But it would still be enjoyable. Yeah, the thing is about that, Dennis, is funnily enough, Subutio does lend itself a bit to that, you know, a bit of solo play, I found. Yeah. It's all, like, my feelings about Subutio are on the record on this podcast. (laughs) But playing on your own is actually in a way for me slightly more enjoyable <laughs> as it perhaps that's just the way things are but <laughs> yeah it, it's uh, uh, one of my great it's not that i don't like Sputia. i don't want people to think i don't like it it's just that I, the game itself particularly if you come up with against anybody who is in any way competent quickly becomes nigh on impossible that's, that's a fair point, my yeah. issue with it and but the actual stuff around it years ago one of, one of I don't have many regrets in life because I don't believe in them but I I reckon it would have been about 2000 and I think it'd be about 2001 I I went away with my wife for a weekend to Ambleside it was when they still had uh, Stuart Roy Clark's football gallery there and there was a little charity shop or a, like a sort of bric-a-brac type shop and they had just a mountain of Subutio teams and, you know, advertising hoardings. And do you remember the streaker with the policeman following? <laughs> yeah. And different balls and coloured nets. And at the time, I was at a stage of my life where I had no interest in sort of going back to that. Whereas if I came across that now... Penny would just have to back the car up to the door and open the boot while I dealt with it all. So it's not that I don't like Sputo, it's just, as I said, I have issues with the actual game. Do you know, I think think I probably feel similarly to you about Scalextric. I would love the idea of putting together a collection of Scalextric cars and building a track and having something, you know... I'd never actually want to play racing the cars because it's dreadful. (laughs) It's like it's not enjoyable in the slightest. <laughs> so as I mentioned uh, when I introduced the topic, there's another relaunch, and it is perhaps becoming a bit like a, a once famous band continually going on tours and the audience dwindling every time. Um, who knows? The new licensee might um, might give it a, a new push. There, there was an accessory that just came out in January of the the snow covered pitch. And that was actually, I thought that was part of the relaunch, but it was actually the last accessory by the previous licensee. was still look uh, cool. Yes, because I saw that, and I, I thought, that yeah. seems a really strange thing to lead with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. That relaunch, have they gone and got the licenses again? Because that last relaunch, they didn't have enough licenses, did they? That was the problem. Yeah, there haven't been a lot of details about this new one, so... TBC. Because the real joy of Subutio is being able to go and get like a Huddersfield Town away kit from 1986 or something. That's the, yeah. the real joy of it for me. In the pre-commercial era, it was a great little joy that one 
set would suffice for eight different teams who shared colours. The, the, yeah, there's that. I, I think they... I, maybe it's just like like nostalgia, but I think we kind of had the perfect balance around the kind of late 80s, early 90s because you had that thing where some kits could function for different teams because the, the designs weren't specific enough. But at the same time, you started to get that thing where you'd have things like the you'd get the Liverpool kits with the Adidas stripes on the shoulder. But it would still, it would represent that team for at least a couple of seasons. The pro, I think they, the problem that they had with that, with that recent relaunch where they had the really quite clever bendy players that wouldn't snap if you stepped on them, but they... They gave them um, distinctive hairstyles and they put the squad numbers on oh, them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the problem with that is that fixed that. So, like, the Liverpool team that you can buy is a very specific yeah. season Liverpool team with, like, Andy Carroll and everybody in it. And it's like, <laughs> what would have been better would be do the kit or at least do an approximation of the kit and do something that means that obviously what you want to do is you want to market to people year on year. You want them to buy one season and then you want them to have to buy the next season as well. But equally, it should work if you haven't. And, and just do the the number stickers and let people put their own squad numbers on so they can build a squad that they want yeah um, it, it, it does have that awkward thing that in the era of squad numbers and kits changing every season um unless sabutio is already really successful and so there are legions of people out there who want to buy all the new teams every season it's really hard to find that balance between the generic and the very specific yeah. and I don't think the last relaunch got it quite right um, but we'll see we'll see how the, yeah. the new one does I don't think it will be massively successful I think there is a certain there are kind of two markets for Sabutio now there isn't a kids market for it at all there is a there is a nostalgia market who'll like be someone our age but who's not a nerd like us uh, or like slightly older than us probably really who might see it and like when they do like those retro style sets and then yeah. there's the actual players the people who are kind of really hardcore about it and that's too small a market to be commercially successful i'd love to see a commercially successful sabutio but it ain't ever going to happen again <laughs> yeah that, that 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 is the bottom line right back around to me isn't it for my last one yeah have you still got any left <laughs> uh, yeah well I've, I've been saving one till the very end so I've been trying to juggle as we've been going through, which is why I said to Dennis, I will throttle you over the internet <laughs> if you steal mine. Um, one of the, one of the the uh, my great passions is obviously the England team, as anybody who's followed me on Twitter for any length of time will know. Um, there is a YouTube channel uh, user called Sestrian eighty one. C-E-S-T-R-I-A-N-81. And it is, again, it is just a goldmine of the most random England friendlies and qualifiers from the 70s, 80s and 90s. And it's just... That's enough on its own, um, particularly when you consider it's got like some of the real random games, like when England... They couldn't, for reasons I won't go into, they couldn't call it a proper international, so they actually played Team America in 1976. <laughs> so Team America won England 3. Um, but the, the great thing about this channel is there's a lot that are... 
a lot of the highlights are lifted straight from uh, Sports Night. So you get the England highlights, but then afterwards they often include uh, Jimmy Hill um, giving his <laughs> giving his reaction <laughs> and his thumbs up, thumbs down, some of the punditry, some of the interviews. Um, there's just all sorts of sort of objet d'art on there. You know, he's got some of the... the trailers for um the bbc coverage of various world cup and european cups and everything going forward uh go i don't know if you remember the sort of ill-fated regional football quiz program go for goal from the early 90s um there's some of that on there there's it it's just it's just a great little channel for the england fan to dive into he's got there are there's more than just england on there so if you're you know if that's not your thing he's also got just again really random football highlights from all sorts you know there's liverpool fa cup games and there's a load of chester stuff on there um load of sets of sort of division two goals from the 90s and stuff like that and again it's just one of those places where you just go on it not knowing what you want to watch and then you're like two hours later you're satisfied and stated so it's cestrian 81 c-e-s-t-r-i-a-n 81 and again like all the others just go on there with an open mind not knowing what you want and you will find something and you will be entertained it will fill an hour seb you fill another hour <laughs> uh this is another thing that is exactly an hour long um uh, most of the things unsurprisingly that we've talked about here are uh old nostalgic things <laughs> that kind of sate the the nostalgia valves in our in our brains um, I mentioned before when I was talking about the Impossible Job about how there's a there's a certain style of football documentary, the the Amazon Prime, the the Netflix uh, documentaries, but there are a series of documentaries on Amazon uh, called This Is Football, which I don't know if you guys have watched any of them. Um, yeah. It was a six part series. Um, it wasn't a fly on the wall uh, behind the scenes uh, at football clubs type documentary at all. Um, what it specifically is is a series of six um, thematically kind of connected to each other, but really they're completely standalone films, and they are about what football means to people. Um, that is the kind of the broad thrust of the series. Is um, you know. There is football, the game, and then there is football, the thing that 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 brings people together, that inspires people, that, that does this, that, and the other, and you know that a lot of the kind of thing that we we talk about on the on this podcast sometimes. Um, in particular, and I did write about this particular episode in a in a When Saturday Comes TV column, um, but the first episode is called Redemption, and it is about a group of Liverpool fans. Which <laughs> you know, are you surprised I'm I'm talking about that? But but specifically, it's about a group of Liverpool fans from Rwanda, and I think the film knows that a lot of people watching it will have a preconception of fans around the world of clubs like Liverpool and Man United and Man City or whoever, fans in countries where you're like. 
well, what is their connection to Liverpool? Why why are these people Liverpool fans? What what can Liverpool possibly mean to these people? It's you know, okay, they they can have grown up watching football and they can love it, but surely they 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 don't have the same emotional connection as someone who's grown up nearby. Um I won't go into a lot of the specifics of the story that's told about these people. Um, except to say that, I mean, for those who do and don't, and I didn't really know anything about the history of this, but the but there was a, a horrific genocide in Rwanda, and the the people who are in this documentary um, are all survivors of this genocide and and lost loved ones and family in it, and it sounds frivolous to say that football is a means by which they were brought together. Uh, but watch the documentary because it is absolutely astonishing how football and, and not not specifically the support of Liverpool because the, the film goes into much more stuff about football in Rwanda. But it is genuinely the case that in Rwanda football was an integral part of a healing process between communities, and it is it's mind blowing and astonishing how it actually happened. But it really did. And so the film kind of follows that strand in terms of telling you the the recent history of Rwanda and and how football relates to that, as well as just showing you these these fanatical Liverpool fans and kind of telling the story of them coming on a basically they they come over and go to watch a match at Anfield and it's the first time they've ever been to Anfield, and you cannot look at a scene where this one particular. Uh, person who again I, I don't want to spoil why it's so significant to him but this guy looks up at the the sign on the stand that reads the Sir Kenny Dalgleish stand and it is one of the most emotional moments like I've ever had watching anything to do with football it's just it's a brilliant and powerful piece of filmmaking that just I think serves as a really important reminder of it and you know kind of at this time when Rightly, I think, football is being viewed as something that just isn't that important in the great scheme of everything that's going on in the world at the moment. But I think it's important to get a reminder that it that it really can be important to people. It's not just about your team winning. It's not just about what happens on the pitch. Football as a thing has this, this power. And rather than it being something that I think we should just put aside and and forget about while while all of this is going on in the world i think it's i think it's important to remember it and hold on to it and not let it go away when when all of this kind of is over you know yeah i've i've seen i've seen it so and it is it it's a powerful way to spend a few minutes to say the least i haven't seen it um, I'll watch it after I watch The Impossible Job. I realise my <laughs> absolute lack of time spent on YouTube is being shown up badly here. But it, it sounds kind of like a spiritual successor to um, like the kind of things that we talked about in the Goal TV episode. Um, just about, was it The Ball is Round? Was that the one? Mm. You know, just what football yeah. means to people. Yeah. And it means something different to everyone. There's a communal experience, obviously, but everyone has their own deeply individual experience. Yeah. Um. So, is it my turn? Yeah, go for it, Danny. Sorry, I keep, I keep not leading you in. It's <laughs> all right. I, 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 I haven't. I don't have let anyone in either. <laughs> um, Dave, you mentioned England or Team England playing Team America in the seventies. 
Uh, why is that game notable from a kit point of view? Didn't did England play in like a pale yellow non-licensed kit with no badge on? Uh, yeah, pretty close. It was it was made by Admiral, uh, and it was never worn in a proper international. Though the socks were worn against Brazil. And that leads me on. But it is, it's like, it's really pale yellow, isn't Very, it? Very, um, yeah, kind of daffodil yellow. Um, or yeah. even lighter still. Maybe kind of butter yellow. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that leads me on to my final recommendation for the Kit Bliss podcast. Um, which is, as described, really, it's available at <laughs> kitbliss.co.nz. And it's four guys, usually four, sometimes there's only three, talking about football kits. It's it is as nerdy as it sounds. There's no point pretending otherwise. But it's I would think it's ex- it's accessible for the non-nerd that they'll come away more enlightened and more informed and more knowledgeable about kits. And just looking at it, there are twenty three episodes that can be listened to by the layman. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, Patreon, Patreon, there's an extra new one last week that you can listen to before the masses. I think they come out about three months later. Um, and there are various different topics. Um, like there's ones on the history of Barcelona, Kits of Euro 2000. Uh, there's one about last summer when Huddersfield wore that uh, Paddy Power branded one there's one looking at badges there's one where they try to come up with the perfect kit like i said various uh disparate topics and i think that he the the average person will find it entertaining there's just while we i i know i <laughs> i don't want to go on and give one well i am i'm going to give an extra one <laughs> basically <laughs> And it's inspired by Dennis. One of my favourite podcasts no longer exists. It stopped, actually stopped in, I think it was 2016, possibly. But they're still on iTunes and they're still on Mixcloud and they're still on their website. And it was a podcast called Cafe Calcio. And it was it was a Resonance FM uh, in London radio show that they clipped out for a podcast an hour long. Um, three people in there, including When Saturday Comes, his very own David Stubbs, um, doing some timeless episodes on historical aspects of football, football and music. Um, sometimes they get a guest to chat to, in to chat various things. I was on one show, but it was my first ever appearance on a podcast, and I was utterly dreadful on it. So, and that's not me sort of trying to be self-deprecating. I genuinely was awful on it. Um, so I, I can't recommend that one at all. But it's it was and still is a brilliant podcast to sort of just just delve into from a historical point of view and some of the stuff they go into is sometimes they look at political aspects of certain stories and narratives that have happened within football um but yeah even though it's they're all now sort of four five six years old some of them because they did i think it was three seasons or probably four seasons worth there is there's a lot that still resonates today and i 
can't recommend go, going back and picking a couple of them out to listen to as well. And if all else fails and you've found nothing else to dive into out of everything we've said, just fire up an emulator and play Sensible Soccer. <laughs> yeah, I wondered whether we'd get the opportunity to, to talk about whether uh, Football Manager 20 was worth playing because at the time of uh, recording this, they're just at the end of, they've given people two free weeks on the game. I only got a chance to fire it up this weekend and I haven't played it for very long and because it's a modern Football Manager game, it takes that long to get going that I've not really played any matches yet. Um, I have a feeling that they'll keep extending it for a little while because I think they'll 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 want to keep getting more and more people in and then you get far enough in a game and then you will want to pay the 30 quid in order to carry it on um but if you if basically if you're listening to this and and you haven't seen if they have or not go and check whether football manager 2020 is still free because I bet it probably is and it's it's it's, it's worth a go it's football manager it's not as good as it used to be but it's it's still good <laughs> have you played it dennis I haven't played Football Manager since Football Manager 2015, which I just found to be rock hard. It was nearly impossible to be successful. Prior to that, I had binged on Football Manager 2012, which I found kind of close to 0102 in terms of playability and addictedness. Uh, I created an all-conquering Cork City side on that, um, which, which made it more enjoyable I gave up in 2015 after being sacked by Cardiff after a couple of months having uh, having stepped down as Sunderland manager before I was sacked. But I had taken Sunderland up to the Premier League before that. I wasn't completely useless. I, I've played it a bit and I've played last year's iteration the year before and I keep wanting to really enjoy it and get into it and I keep trying to use FM Touch which is the the mm. watered down version full football manager now is so complicated and so many variables in it in terms of training through to tactics to the games itself it's just it's mind boggling to the point of I know some people are addicted and absolutely love it but it like Playing the full version actually feels like a chore at mm. times to me. The problem is with FM Touch, which is supposed to be stripped back. It's supposed to be in, you know, horrible air quotes, the enjoyable version that you can blast through. You, you can't. It's not, it's not that it's not stripped back enough. It's the difficulty curve is absolutely massive. Um, you know, signing players is difficult. So you fire up a game and you think, right, you know, you want to you want to take somebody and you want to reshape the side, you know, ship out five or six players. It's really difficult getting people to actually buy your players to up your budget mm. if you're in a, you know, if you've got a a, a side in the bot in League One or League Two. Because I tend to like to start with a League Two side. The one good aspect I've found that I don't know if you two are aware of is you can do a creator club now. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Where you can you can build the club from scratch, pick what league you're going into, um, do the kits, and and sort of pull your. You have to basically take a squad that already exists in the game. So, like last year, if you were if you were non-league, you could go and get Salford City squad, and you had a higher budget and a far better team than anybody else in the non-league. So mm-hmm. all you had to do is a couple of additions, and you'd blaster it. But 
so that's quite enjoyable but the actual sort of main game is just uh, like hats off to people who are addicted to it and are successful at it i just find it unless there's something i'm missing you know i'll find some gem somewhere that i want to sign for 500 grand or something and even if i'm a premier league team they immediately come back and say no we want 36 million please Mm. and you're like what it's (laughs) and i just like i say i don't know if i'm missing something or what but it's just not I, I I hate to say it, but it's just not that enjoyable anymore. Not that fun. It's it's suffered from going. I think this is quite a common criticism that it's sort of has gone too far realistic. But I think transfers are the thing that have suffered the most because yeah, it's the the fun of football manager is that it's fantasy football and it doesn't mean it mm. should just be easy to just go out and get whoever you want. But there's no point playing it. If you're going to manage the, you know, the club that you love and you want to make them more successful, if you're only ever going to be able to sign exactly the, the players that they would sign in real life, then you're not playing football manager, you're not playing championship manager. The point is that you should be able to, to reach a bit higher. And it's just, yeah, the, the slog of negotiations, the fact that it's so easy to, to piss off both people you're trying to sign and people who already play for you. I mean, case, case in point, so I just I, I started a game on 2020. I, I did the create a club thing that you mentioned because my, my what I usually will do with Football Manager, and I, I had a long game on Football Manager Touch, probably the 2016 version maybe, where I created Melchester Rovers and I put them in in place of MK Dons because that two birds with one stone it means mk dons don't exist um and it's a good place to start in terms of, of working your way up so i did that and i started a game and i, and I have the squad that it gave me but i i sort of I, I i did it an auto pick on the squad so it kept some of the players and ditched some of the others so because it had got rid of some players it told me that i had to nominate a new vice captain so uh, joe mattock the left back uh is uh, was there uh, and it suggested making him vice captain so i made him vice captain and literally like a day later I was signing a player and there's a new thing with player transfers now where before you even get to the contract negotiation you have promises to make them about stuff you'll do players you'll try and sign and that kind of stuff and I was trying to sign this really good midfielder who was I needed a defensive midfielder he was he was definitely he was probably better than what I was paying for him but he wanted me to make him vice captain so I signed him and and without me doing it, he automatically became vice-captain because that was a promise that I'd made. So then I had Joe Matic getting angry at me because he wasn't vice-captain anymore. And I was like, you'd only been vice-captain for a day. You weren't even the existing one. <laughs> it was just... yeah. And so all that's done is one of my best players, before I've kicked a ball, one of my best players has got incredibly low morale and doesn't like me. And I'm just, I feel like I'm already on the back foot with it. And it's like, okay, so I've got to try and, you know, work around that now. Morale has always been one of the most annoying things in those games. The fact that in real football, it's possible for players to be happy as reserves or sitting on the bench or being squad players. And in football and championship manager, it's never been possible to juggle a squad. You have to change your reserve goalkeeper every 18 months or so. Because they'll always eventually hand in a transfer request, no matter who they are. It's really annoying. I can remember in in Ultimate Soccer Manager two, uh, when guys weren't playing, after about four weeks they become unsettled and then unhappy, <laughs> and eventually it would get to distressed because they weren't playing. So basically, <laughs> when they were unsettled, you could still offer them a new contract, but if it went beyond that to unhappy. The only way they'd stop being unhappy was by playing them. 
So I just offer him a new contract mm. and they become unsettled. And uh, <laughs> yeah, My, it's the thing it's lost is like I used to play LMA a lot. I don't know if either of you two played the LMA Never games. Never played that, no. And they were. I mean, I would love to play them again. If somebody wants to send me a link to an emulator, <laughs> I can play them again. I will. I will love you and thank you forever. But the thing about them was they were. It was more about building the team and the squad that you wanted, so that you could, you know, every season decent out of contract on options came up. I mean, I signed um, Real Ronaldo out of contract, you know, and and stuff like that. And you're right, the new football manager. You have a look at the out of contract list, the free agent list, and you see somebody who's perfectly suitable. And you've been playing at their level, and you approach them, and the agent immediately says they've got no interest in signing for your club, <laughs> even though they're completely out of contract and they're within your budget. And you think, <laughs> you think that's not what I want from yeah. a football management no. game. I want to have a chance of putting together the squad I want. But I will say this: you can't get cheaper than free. So go and have a try because it may be. You know, there'll mm. be people listening to this, and it's precisely what they want from a football management game. So. This this chat would segue beautifully into a feature on Championship Manager or Football Manager if we had one. <laughs> <laughs> we will get there, but no, it's something else that is free. Uh, although I think I don't know if you actually need data to put into it because you might you might need to buy a real version of the game as well. I think you possibly do. Uh, but Dave, you mentioned Sensi before. Are you aware of Sensible World of Soccer Twenty Twenty? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a project. If you go to sensiblesoccer.de, it is a a downloadable version of Sensible Soccer. That's basically it's a it's got a new framework around it, so that a it works on modern PCs, and b you can load in different data and sounds and pitches and graphics and just everything. But the underlying game, the actual game engine, is SWAS. So it is basically a souped up revamped version of sensible world of soccer but the but it's not a new game the game itself is sensible world of soccer it's just sensible world of soccer with the ability to plug in anything you want to it pretty much so and people um, people have thought of everything yeah oh, so that <laughs> you can literally tailor the game how I, you I, want. i'm just looking at it now uh, yeah, okay <laughs> that, that's my self-isolation taken care of that's what dennis is doing this yeah. week, then. um uh, the, John Hare, the guy behind Sensible Soccer, he was looking to create a new game a couple of years ago called Sociable Soccer, but I don't know if it got off the ground. Um, but I think uh, it's, new, newer versions yeah. of Sensible Soccer, kind of like what we were saying about Sabuti a while ago, you know, they, they, they kind of they were of their time, you know, or they captured a certain zeitgeist, and you're not going to, you're not going to reignite it. Hmm. I I think I think uh, sensible. The thing about Sensi is, if you fire up an emulator, um, of which there are many online, and play Swass, it's still. I tell you now, from somebody who does that regularly and literally did it earlier today, it still plays like a dream. You know, hmm. and that's why there's no dream. point trying to yeah. do a new one or a no. new style game. It's just or trying to adapt it for an iPhone or all this sort of mm. thing. You just you have to play it a certain way and that way is like how it was intended to be played basically. Mm. Well there you go. There's a there's a there's a positive thing to to go out on. <laughs> uh not not so much the football manager 2020 but the but the SWAS 
dig dig out Swass if you really need just a bit of both nostalgic and still current and good football action. <laughs> and we nineties games, that is something I want to cover in more detail in future and we will. Well, that's it. Nearly everything we've said is something that we want to go into in a lot more detail, isn't it? But, you know, in the current situation, as I said, it's just important to try and give people something that will fill an hour. Mm. And if if there's nothing there that fills an hour for you, then I'm not too sure why you're listening to our podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that's well, that's that's it. That's a, a lengthy chat about a load of things that we love. As, as Dave says, you know, we've covered off a bunch of different episodes there. Our original intent when we launched this podcast a year ago was to do it possibly monthly. I think we've almost ended up becoming a slightly more than quarterly podcast uh, for for one reason or another. This is why we've got so many topics that we want to cover and that we will try to, but we've just had various things that have meant it's been difficult to get it out with with mega regularity. But hopefully, you've enjoyed and are enjoying the episodes on the things that we've done as we've done them we are going to do a Renford Rejects episode uh, soon we've, we've put ourselves through watching a bunch of episodes so we will do that we just wanted to do something a bit more cheery first Dave is making a gun sign to his head as I say that um, that'll be fun when we do Renford Rejects and we will try and do that soon it's not going to be another three months before we do that we will definitely do that one sooner I promise in the meantime if this is your first listen you want to hear more you can find episodes at beyondthetouchline.co.uk also subscription links there for Spotify uh, Acast Apple uh, everywhere that you can find us if you're listening on a podcast platform that has ratings and reviews particularly on Apple please leave us a rating or a review it helps more people to find us Uh, people always say it about podcasts it's really true uh you can get in touch with us on twitter at bttl podcast uh i'm at seb patrick dave is at david hartrick and dennis is uh just to spoil things dennis underscore hurley um and yeah you can you know uh, let us know what you think of this let us know your recommendations for for things to get you through this time um and we'll see you again for our next episode thanks for listening see you then Thanks. Bye. Grand. Grand.